<laughs> waiting, I'm waiting for that trumpet call to hear that one. The real one. <laughs> you know, the day you hear that and it's not me playing it and we're still here, we know we have a problem. Uh, yeah, Hopefully it's just our theology. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind theology, I know what the Word of God says. I know what it says. Alright, while we're talking, Mr. Cole's going to pray. Yay. Okay. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your great love for each and every one of us that you would cause to be your children. And you hear our prayers and you answer our prayers and you love us. We thank you so much. We are so grateful. We just look to you and want to please you back and love you back and honor you and put you first in our lives. We thank you for this group of young people here that, that did this play and, and, and just... How, how they're growing up and being great. They're going to be great and fine and wonderful men and women of God for you. And we, we praise you and thank you for all, all of our families and, for, and we thank you that families are so important to you. Praise you, Lord. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. 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 So... Because it's tangentially tied into the material we're going to cover tonight, I was, I was reviewing the In All Things Give Thanks that they had in their intro. So I was all over that earlier preparing. They had written this weeks before. And look at that. God brings them all together in the same day. <laughs> I think it's great. I've, uh, I've entitled this message, From the Holiest to the Harvest. And... Um, Lord willing, and we don't chase too many rabbits, this will be our last uh, of this whole series on Hebrews that we've been on for two years and a half, or two years and four months. So, uh, anyhow, considering that often I only get through two verses, 15 will be fun. How about we just take a running start at it and tell you the end from the beginning, okay? So, here's the overview of the whole thing. Hebrews 13, verses 10 through 25. You have the fellowship offering of grace, which we reviewed in, in detail last week. Then it moves on to the sin offering and its reproach. Those are verses 11 through 14. And then we move to the burnt offering of praise. That's verse 15. If you're familiar with, uh, if you're familiar with the approaches inside the temple and tabernacle system, these will be familiar to you. Then we go to the sacrifice of good works and giving, that's verse 16. Obedience and prayer, covered in verses 17 and 19. There's a blessing in the expression of the eternal covenant, verses 20 and 21. And then, wrapping business up, the final farewell, in verses 22 through 25. So, um, 28 months. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews said, well, you know, bear with me, I've written you a few words. <laughs> I thought it would be a good idea not to stretch them any farther. Okay. Um, Hebrews 13, 10 through 12. For we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 
This entire epistle has been a call to come into the holiest of all. And now at the end, the writer to the Hebrews says, let's go out to him outside the gate and bear the reproach he endured. For, we have no, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The King James has this, the fruits that give him thanks, basically. Verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they, have, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's um, sobering. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, even if preachers later on will take months and months and months to go through the letter. You should know our brother Timothy has been released, <coughs> Excuse me. with whom I shall see if he comes... <coughs> with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. So here it is. The Father calls us into the holiest, calls us into his fellowship in the holiest of all, and sends us out to his harvest fields. It's an invitation in first and a commissioning out second. This is why every born-again believer has been called and qualified by God to go out into the harvest field. Jesus said in his prayer to the Father, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Somebody who's not of this world Somebody who lived a life like nobody else was living. Somebody who walked on water, raised the dead, healed the leper, caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear. Somebody who showed love in the face of hate. Somebody who turned the world upside down. Somebody that for his goodness was crucified and then beat death and lives forever. Just like that. Just like that. We get to go into the world. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> So, let's review the fellowship offering of grace. We went over this in the, in the sharing, consuming grace. We have an altar from which to eat, Hebrews 13.10. And the fact that we get to eat meat off this offering that we offered, that's what qualifies or classifies it as the fellowship or the peace offering. Because those who offered it ate the meat. Some was burnt, some was eaten. Consuming grace is eating it like our daily bread, for we have an altar from which to eat. Remember that? And then consuming grace is also that grace that consumes us. Grace that infuses our lives 
to the degree that it becomes our identity. God's grace beyond our sin. Amen? So, now we delve into the sin offering and its reproach. Hebrews 13, 11-14 For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, those bodies are burned outside of the camp. Whenever you spend some time in the Old Testament, particularly the Pentateuch, particularly Leviticus, and you get drowned in details and blood, understand that every single detail is important, and there's reasons why they're moving in certain ways. Matter of fact, this blood that's carried inside the holy places, we have modern-day view of how that was sprinkled, because some Levites got broken away from the major body in like 700 B.C., and we're hanging out in Ethiopia for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. And then somewhere around the 1980s, after clarifying and classifying that this wasn't a fluke thing, that these were actually Jewish people living in Ethiopia, the Israelites brought them back to the land. And they were still doing sacrifices in the old temple fashion. And they would take the blood on their fingers and they would spread it on the veil. Like a man was being whipped seven times, the veil is his flesh. And that's how the sacrifice of the blood would go in the holy place and be sprinkled on the veil of the Holy of Holies. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Not of this world. So, that sin offering language, it says it straightforward in Hebrews 13.11, that those bodies are burnt outside of the camp. You can look at the detail in the law. I'll just give you a couple places. It's spread throughout. Hebrew, uh, Exodus 29, verses 10 through 14. Leviticus 4, verses 11 and 12, and then verse 21. So what the law does is it'll set up these, these generalizations of these sacrifices, and then it will get into detail courses, like, okay, here's a sin offering for the priests. Here's a sin offering for the priests and the people. Here's a sin offering for someone, not all the people, but just a person who could, like, like on the Day of the Atonement, that's a sin offering, right? That, that goat that gets killed. Anyhow. But those are, the, those are the baselines there. Exodus 29, verses 10 through 14. Leviticus 4, verse 11 and 12, verse 21. So, the blood, as I just demonstrated, was sprinkled on the veil. It was put on the horns of the altar. So the altar had four corners, and there were horns on the brazen altar out in the court. And they would put blood on the horns, and they would dump the rest of it at the base of the altar. So the blood belongs to God, right? The life of the flesh is in the blood. And God had given it to make atonement on the altar, to cover for sin. So, soul life, suke in the Greek, nephesh in the Hebrew, was a new animating technology that God created in Genesis 1. God also created great whales, basically it says. But nephesh life, as we understand it, as we know it, soul life, iron, oxygen carrying, red blood, 
giving life to flesh, so life didn't exist prior to that. And he created it in animals first. But when he put it in man, the language isn't used of creation, something out of nothing new, but forming. So he created this animating principle in an animal, a beast, and then he shaped it to fit man. And the reason he did this was so he could use a morally innocent creature to just cover for a while for a morally culpable human being. When God puts spirit and flesh, the interface between those two we call the soul, and the animating force of that lives in the blood. And that blood that Jesus spilled was that soul life that didn't just cover it, washed. And it went all the way into the Holy of Holies. This blood made it into the Holy of Holies only one time a year. Other than that, it was sprinkled on the veil. But then, the kidneys, the cow, and the fat, those were burnt on the altar. Everything else was taken outside of the camp. So, hey mama. Did you wait for me? I did. Thank you. I'm only two slides in. You're good. Maybe three. So, so um, when they were camping, the tabernacle sat in the middle of the camp. The Israelites camped, if you look from above what the camp would look like, based upon how God said they should encamp, it looked like this huge cross out in the desert. And the space between the central formation in that camp, which was the tabernacle, and everybody else was 2,000 cubits of separation. A clear field. Now, the Levites camped right in front of the gate, so that if you got in there or started going there in the wrong way, well, you can get executed. Because, you know, we've got to keep things going straight. Probably one of, the, one of the few artifacts that they've ever found of Herod's temple is a sign that says, Gentiles enter here on pain of death. <laughs> okay? So, understand... We didn't take the stuff, the skin, the you know everything that's left from the sin offering. It didn't stay in the courtyard. It didn't stay in that hallowed 2,000 cubits between that and the camp. It didn't get tanned out in Judah's campground or even Dan's campground. It went all the way outside of the campground and got burnt on its own pile. Completely obliterated. The remainder. But what went on the altar and got burnt up to God were the kidneys, which biblically represent the control. Another word for kidneys is reins, not as in horses' reins, it's just, but that's it. When God has a hold of your kidneys, he has, he, he's got, he's leading you, he's guiding you, he's controlling you. Not controlling in a, in like, you know, a zombie way, right, or, but, right? It's like, like your parent keeps order. <laughs> And the fat, the fat's the energy. In the sin offering, what is offered to God is control and energy. My life force and its direction now belongs to you. Everything that is my flesh in which no thing is good, well, that is completely eradicated and burnt outside the camp. It's gone. My flesh is gone and the direction of my life's energy is under your control, God. That's a sin offering. 
it goes well beyond a payment for the breach. It's a covenant of the future. It's exciting. It's outside of the camp, burnt outside of the camp. He went outside of the camp, ostracized, insulted, held in contempt. Even people who were being nailed to wood next to him were joking him. Well, where'd you get off the cross? You know? And one of them asked around and says, Where do you get off? You're, you're in no better shape, right? Jesus bore men's insolence toward God. That's Romans 15.3. So, the way that people disrespected God, the way that people took God lightly, the way that people said, oh God, what is that? That's some imagination on your part? He bore that brunt as a human walking among His own creation. But then He bore from God God's judgment upon us. Both sides. Just want to point out that that you could call it the profaning of God in Jesus. That wasn't anything new. That was the problem from the beginning. Was was what happened to Jesus was what God had been dealing with for <coughs> four thousand years. Amen. And it kind of all culminated in that. Absolutely correct. Psalm sixty nine, verse nine. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. What gives you the right to clean the temple? I'll tell you what. How about I knock it down and then I pick it back up in three days? There. There. <laughs> when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. They cast their dice for my clothes. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the, was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, t he took it all. He took, it, he took humanity's entire disrespect for God upon himself, and God's entire judgment upon mankind upon himself and was crushed in the middle. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He said, but Luke 6, verse 22 and 23, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. As Abel just said, Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus' confrontation to his generation was, you sit here and say, if we'd been alive when Jeremiah was walking around, if we'd been alive when Hosea was walking, we wouldn't have mocked them, we wouldn't have incarcerated them, we wouldn't have killed them. He said, I tell you what, so 
just so you understand who you are, so I can set you free, I'll send you some prophets and apostles so you can kill them. So that everyone that's died from Abel all the way to Zacharias, which is like saying from Genesis to, to Malachi, except it's Chronicles. That's a little too technical. Anyway, from A to Z, every prophet that's ever been killed that you've ever read about in Scripture, that blood now belongs to you because you can't opt out of your own sin. Okay? Why does he do that? Because he loves you enough not to remain bound in self-righteousness. You know? It's horrible to offer a cure when people don't think they're diseased. It's silly to offer a cure when people know they're not. <laughs> but, you know, okay. Not of this world. We are in the world, but not of this world. We seek the city to come. John 17, 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. There are attitudes and mannerisms and things that we do by nature of who we are that just totally make people froth at the mouth. I have been a Christian, and I have known Christians who have attempted to do this in their flesh by making people froth at the mouth by just simply being anointed jerks or thinking they were anointed. They were just being jerks. Right? right. Holier than thou. Self-righteous. But when, when you're in a school context and... and the unpopular kids getting picked on, and you stand up for them out of love, what's the general reaction? Do people generally in that context, you know, grade school, high school, you know, go, oh, you know, you're no. right, we, no, shouldn't, no, they pick we shouldn't tease him for his high water pants and the fact that he really is a freak. I mean, look at him. He's a freak. You're a freak too, because you like him. Right. Right? Right. You ever confront that? Absolutely. You know, I mean, the sandbox is the sandbox. I don't care how old you get. You know, someone with aberrant behavior that needs understanding and love, when you stand up for them, everybody else goes, yeah, well, then you're the weirdo. Generally speaking. Yep. Right? Right. So, when you offer blessing for curse, when you offer love for hate, in a social justice movement, when a man finally decides up, you had, you had two major figures. One, Martin Luther King said, love and nonviolence will make this hate go away. The other one, Malcolm X said, that's stupid. We need to play, burn the place down and get our own. That's an extreme reduction of both men's viewpoints, I'll have you know. And they didn't stick there, but let's just, let's just stay there for the moment, right? Well, I'll tell you right now, many, many, many more believed Malcolm X than they did Martin Luther King at that time. Because everybody else, like from the FBI down, understood if people wanted to take power and we wanted to keep power, we had to have a fight. But we don't understand if we sick dogs and water on you and all you do is stand up and not fight back, we don't know what to do. Something's wrong with you. Love those that hate you. 
bless those who persecute you. Right? So, kind, I just think kind, it's a good... hard to do, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that... Um, and I'm not... I, I don't think it's anything you have to go looking for. Um, but it's not a bad little temperature check, right? That if, if you're not grading against the world in some way, either you're in some sort of Christian convent, right? Some cultural clique where everyone knows to talk nice, even if they don't. Um, or you are in the world, but you just look too much like them and you don't irritate anybody. <laughs> Either case is a problem, right? I mean, it's a problem. If, if people don't talk differently when you walk in the room... Sir, so, sir, so, yeah, where's the, where's the change? Where's the difference? What's going on? Where's the salt? The world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. <laughs> I, told, I told my boss one time, I'm not from this planet. He just scratched his head. Because <laughs> he, knew, he knew I was serious, but he didn't know how to respond. <laughs> so then I followed up with out-of-body experiences. It didn't make him feel any more comfortable. <laughs> John 17, verse 15. I... Do not ask that yet you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Look at this prayer. Because I know I'm there, man. I'm I let me out. Good to go. Let me go. And Jesus is like, look, let him stay. <laughs> Just don't let him have them. We gotta have the mind of Christ on this. He wants us in place for a reason. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me in the world, so I have sent them in the world. So, the Father calls us into the holiest of all, and then sends us out into His harvest field. It's His field. It's His harvest. It's His people, His creation. That's what He wants. So this brings us to the burnt offering. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the language of the burnt offering, the entire thing, holy given up to God on the altar. Burnt up. Boom. Except that we're not burnt up. We're infused with the fire of God, not consumed by it. We're changed by the fire of God, not destroyed by it. Isn't that good? That's your spiritual worship. That you've laid yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Which means that, well, your energy, your fat, and your reins belong to Him. Right? Your direction and the energy behind that is His. And this is why it was so important to understand how that we are what we are because of the grace of God. That we can labor in His grace and resonate with His creation instead of fighting against it in our own flesh. If it's His, it can behave correctly. Hebrews 13, 15, Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. See how startling it is to say, in all things give thanks. Thanksgiving wasn't foreign, um, but 
giving thanks for hard things kind of was. I'm currently reading a book that's uh, about literature technology, some of the, some of the um, developments in literature over world history and its impacts neurologically, what the neuroscience is and how these things work. And I was reviewing this. This is why I brought it up in terms of the, the preamble to the skit that they did. Is what, what gratitude does, even for hard times and things, for just for your mental health. Forget the spirituality of it for a minute. But then you add the facet that it's in all things. Pray without ceasing. Your very breath, your life, devoted to offering praise to God. That's a burnt sacrifice. That is the sweet-smelling savor, the smoke going up from the altar continually before God. It's raining, praise God. I was like, I was walking down the street this morning and it started sprinkling. I had to get some blood on my legs, so I'm walking. And it starts sprinkling, and I, and I start making a joke with the cloud. I said, are you raining on my parade? And I thought, well, wait a minute. Someone's blessing me with the rain on my head. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. Thank you for the rain. That's exactly how I did it when I was walking up down the street. So easy to, you know, but how quick is it to forget? You know, my plan that God's world got in the way of, the traffic, the weather, the name it, right? The bills, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Instead of seeing God's hand and thanking Him for all that comes, for all He does in you, right? Acknowledging His name. Acknowledging the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. He is who He says He is. He does what He says He's going to do. And I acknowledge His name. I don't deny Him before men. Right? Whoever acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge Him before my Father in Heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I'll... I don't know you. Right? So, let's talk about do-gooder sacrifices. <laughs> <laughs> and giving. So, do good or sacrifices in giving. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good. And share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, anybody ever heard the term prosperity gospel? Oh, yeah. Prosperity gospel. You know yeah. that? Yeah, so we all know what that is supposed to be, right? Okay. Have you heard of the social gospel? Familiar with that? No? Okay, the social gospel is that, you know, the church really should be involved. Um, the, the, the current day moniker for this is social justice. Their way of viewing it and their way of getting there are, are a redefinition of it. But basically, the social gospel is, well then, we should be building hospitals. We should be building homeless shelters. We should be doing all these things that are, take, you know, you should be more concerned about, if you're going to go to a third world country, instead of handing them Bibles they can't read, why don't you give them food they can eat? That's a little more important right now. Okay? And then this gets boiled down to almost some sort of accusation of denying Christ, and this is the social gospel. Because the devil always loves this either-or argument in a both-and world of what we're supposed to be doing. That said... When we think about good works, give me some good works. Doing good. Come on. Supporting orphans. Supporting orphans. The, the widows. But that's like right, that's right in there with share with what you have. But good. Okay. Feeding the homeless. Feeding the homeless. All right. 
I would say standing for uh, God-oriented ethics in the workplace. All right, stand. I, mean, I had to, I had to stand up against some people this week who were considered my superiors, and it was like, with all due respect, um, <laughs> you're not right. <laughs> uh -huh. And we can't do that. Being the being the conscience of the company. Especially when they know you're a non-vaxxer and a religious freak, too. Right. Mm -hmm. In their eyes, at least. Mm -hmm. not, well, yeah. Well, in I their mean, eyes, we're really... Not in my eyes, you're not. You're... Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's good to feel at home. Yeah, any others? Any other good works? Protecting the innocent. Protecting the innocent. There you go. Visiting the shut-ins. Visiting shut-ins. I mean, these are all excellent. It's one of my favorites coming up. Jesus said, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of them are you stoning me? <laughs> I love this guy, man. He's like, he's, he's got the best timing of any stand-up comic I've ever heard. Yeah. It is great. This is John 10. What happened in John 9? I don't know, I forget. A man born blind. Okay. And his disciples said, well, okay, whose fault is it? His or his parents? I mean, is he blind because of his own sin, or is he blind because his parents sinned? And of course, we've read John 9, and we're smug, because we don't ask ourselves that question. You know, we know the story, and we're like, oh, those silly disciples. Neither. You know, and you're driving down the road, and then you get, a, you get an accident, and you're like, is it because I didn't pray this morning? That's because I was mean to my wife. Um, you get a cold, and it's like, uh, you know, how many... Um, bad things happen to you that your first question is was it something I did? Or maybe my, some of my parents did. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> it's a habit, right? You got well, a list? <laughs> I got a list! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, is a, this, this is a continual walk for me to, to if I'm going to consume grace and if I'm going to believe that God doesn't deal with me according to my transgressions, and then when calamity occurs and my first thought is, what did I do to tick off the big guy? Why am I on the bad list? Yeah. yeah. So you know, why is he punishing me? You know who me? we ticked off? We ticked off the devil, not God. Well, <laughs> so this is like my life, but um, I'll keep it brief. You know that means it's good. Never mind. Um, but no, I was just thinking about this today. And I, uh, even on the way over here, I'm like, you know, God, the reality is this world has been... You, God, whether he... I said, God, whether you cursed it or it simply became cursed, you announced it, pronounced it. But the reality is we live in a cursed world. That's the bottom line. And, and Jesus, not disparaging prosperity... But Jesus very clearly articulated, you will have trouble in this world. God, John 17, God, keep them from the evil one. And, and all of this great stuff that you're bringing up. And I have to deal with that and not be frustrated at Jesus because my life seems like, like you said, I'm on the bad list. And, but, the, but the reality is, this is the world that I live in. And it hit me today, if, if, if the great apostle said... I prayed three times and God told me my grace is sufficient. If that was what God told Paul, the 
then who am I? I just gotta get over myself, man. Like, that, that was exactly my thought. I was standing in the kitchen. I'm like, shut up. Um, Please. Like, are you Once you've attained to Paul, then you can come play. Okay? But until then, get a grip. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and but, the, but the other reality is, is that all of this stuff, as, as everybody knows, is for the shaping and the forming of the character of Christ in you. Well, let me, let me just say something, Abel. You know what? It, this stuff will come to an end, and you will be blessed. I just we hope that. that, but you know, don't. No, I'm speaking that. But isn't it, isn't it hard sometimes to? Because sometimes when I'm like, going, God, if you hate me this much in this world, am I even saved? You know, that's no, what it feels like. No, but that's what it feels. It's just a yeah. feeling. But that's just a feeling. But that's that's the. That's but I appreciate your encouragement. I, I need yeah. to be told that. And that's the start of that. So they ask him that. Because it's not like a state that way. I mean, when you talk about all this, I don't relate to that at all. Maybe my mother taught me from a little mm -hmm. girl. When you when something bad to me, I do never. I mean, I can, I don't want to say never, but can't remember once having asked what did I do. How do you think? I, 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 the same thing with me too, and it's like I it's. Don't, yeah, it's a shock when people go, it must be the sin in my life, the reason why this is happening. Neither of you were raised so, by a Catholic, that's well, all yeah, I, I want to know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to think like that. Maybe you're on the other side to have some adjustments oh, or something. That's yeah. true, I get that. He said it's a sin consciousness versus a righteousness consciousness. Yeah. Does that resonate mm -hmm. with you? Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking I kind of relate to it because I do know my mom always said that is not how God's heart is. That's not right. how he is. Oh, did yeah. she give but you an answer maybe, for that? No, just because these things... She, she knew it as a truth, so it was never thoughts. a struggle for her. She yeah. just said that's not... But, it's never a question, my first question. But, I, but her mother... I need some adjustments somewhere else at <laughs> the other end. I don't know. <laughs> I've, you know. I've never asked, but I would, I was, I would surely guess... That if there was ever a question in her mother's heart or head while she was in a Japanese concentration camp as to whether or not she was there because of some fault that God held against her, I'm sure it got ironed out. That is, that is true. Tell me if this makes sense. Because he's good. He's only good. He's only good. Well, when I... <clears throat> this does not even compare, not even on the same level. But when I was going through the process of writing my religious exemption letter, I, you know, I felt like I was wearing the yellow star. I still do now at work. And in fact, I made that comment to my boss the other day. I, but um, I know it doesn't compare. But my point is, when you are in that situation, your mindset is totally different because it's like Jesus said. You know, I think it was Jesus, but about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Mm -hmm. See, part of the problem is I don't suffer enough persecution for doing righteousness. I, most of my stuff, I, I'm just trying to live my prosperous life and things go bad and now I feel like I'm being punished. But when I was in that situation, I was like, if they fire me, God, I know it's not because you hate me. But see, I knew that. And I, I would imagine if you're in a camp then you know, you're like, you're there against God's will. This is not His will. He, this is not about you and Him and you being on the bad list. This is about evil works of evil men, right? So I think it's a different mind frame. I, I don't know. I was never in the camp, but still maybe because I was at an early age. Just I'm just saying that your mother worked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my mom was able to teach it to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, 
But that shows you that it can be ironed out in the camp, but Amen. it also cannot exist in a person from the beginning yes. if they are, are, are taught about God's love for them. From the start. Unconditionally, and that they just know who they are and God's character, and that, yes, we sin, but these uh, this adversity is never because of what we did. Because that's not his character. Amen. And that you can know that from a little boy or girl, and it doesn't have to be this pervasive, you know, yeah. way of just like Mr. Cole encourages you that one day that come can come to a stop, and yeah. you know, you won't think that God hates you or something when something yeah. bad happens. Well, I know this is not therapy, but I had I had no dad growing up, so I had no one to. It's not. <laughs> I had. I have no. been doing this all wrong all along. Abram, I didn't either. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I mean, no one. In fact, I was just always accused of being conceited. That's oh. what I heard my whole life. You're conceited. You're like I like this thing. Like all I was accused of being dumb. I always thought that wasn't true. Why do you say that? But I believed it. <laughs> so, so. His answer is neither, but that God's power could be shown through him, and he, he heals them. And so then this whole conversation ensues about good shepherds and bad shepherds and hirelings and the whole bit, and then he finally says, I and my father are one, and they get so incensed, they pick up rocks, and he goes, whoa, <laughs> hold on just one minute. <laughs> you know, people born blind... They can see now. Lepers are cured. The dead are raised. The deaf hear. Um, exactly which one of those are you chucking the rock for? And exactly for which one of those good works from my father are you showing reproach to me about? Just, you know, want to know. And, and you just brought this out, you know. Uh, how it probably really happened, you know. It wasn't like Jesus. Well, which which works you? You know, he hold it a minute. What a savior we had. You know, he was real. <laughs> he said, "Not for good works, but for blasphemy." Right? Is how they answered. Right? Because they said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then he disappeared. <laughs> which which I come up with this big theological. Uh, my theological position is: if you're ready to chuck rocks at Jesus, he'll disappear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't fully worked it out yet. I'll flesh it out to book four. Some people are saying, you know, well, where, where is he right now? I didn't throw any rocks at you, Lord, but where are you? <laughs> Spiritual camouflage in an evil age. Does that sound like a catchy title? <laughs> Acts 4, verse 5. Okay, what happened in Acts 3? Before I go to Acts 4, Acts 3, anybody? Is that where Peter and John stood up and... Yeah. Spoke to the people. Yeah, it's close. Right before they spoke to the people, they spoke to one guy. Oh, the lame guy. Yeah, he was so lame. Dude, you're lame. <laughs> that was kind of funny, Luke. Right, <laughs> 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 silver and gold have I done, such as I have you, I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they lifted him up. Right? And this was a problem, you know? Because they did this in the name of Jesus. And so they get brought in front of the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, the 70 people, however you want to pronounce it. And the next day, verse 5, chapter 4, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power 
or by what name did you do this? We want to know, what's your authority? Dude hadn't walked his whole life. Lame from birth. He's walking around. He's jumping. I mean, the miracle goes beyond just healing. Right. You know, we all spent at least a year of our life falling on our nose learning how to work our legs. This right. guy stood up, you know, somewhere around 40 years and bam, he's running around praising God. He didn't have any muscles to start with. Yeah. He's like, whoa, check this out, holy man. You know, he's running around praising God the whole bit. Hey, hey, how'd you do that? Whose name did you use? <laughs> was this on a Sunday? Was yeah, it, it was on, on a Saturday, Saturday right here? Was it to the <laughs> left of the I temple said. gate? To the right of the temple gate or on the third stair? We need no, no. <laughs> And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, uh, concerning what? A good deed done to a crippled man. And maybe it's just the context of our mentality. But when we think about good deeds done for the cripple, we may default to pushing the wheelchair across the street at the intersection. I was waiting for someone to talk about leading grandma across the street with the red light. Right. Talking about the good deed is maybe we're buying the pencil from the blind guy. Instead of making the blind guy see. Instead of making the lame man walk. When they looked at Jesus, it wasn't like he was the, he was he wasn't the first uh, self-appointed Messiah uh, healer miracle worker to come down the road. There were other guys who, by they by means of certain magic that they professed or whatever, and they claimed to be this or they claimed to be that. So Jesus was, in one sense, just another guy in a string of falsies. In their eyes, yeah. And right. So he so called it fake rabbis. Yeah, so when we look at this, it's not... They didn't call it that. I just tried to do a Trump thing here, and it didn't work. Go ahead. So my point is, is that it's not like Jesus, in their eyes, was totally out of nowhere. We've never seen a guy like this. No, they were used to dealing with falsies. I don't know what else to call them. Yeah. Um, but that, but, but I would suspect that none of those other guys actually performed at this level, right? So Correct. he was showing himself as the real deal. They should have been able to recognize that he was a real deal or no. Is all that true or valid or not? Uh, it's, it's, it's very valid. It's, it's you know, the, the fact that I think Jerusalem Syndrome, anyone who's ever lived in Israel probably knows what Jerusalem Syndrome is, uh, existed a long time before we even classified it as Jerusalem. Jerusalem Syndrome is an actual psychosis. People in Jerusalem all of a sudden, you know, get these visions of grandeur of being prophets and everything else. Oh. Yet yeah, the crazy comes out in Jerusalem. Um, oh. And that's that's been the case for a long, long so time. So what's my excuse? Yeah. <laughs> but be, be that as it may, you know, no, none of them were doing and then And then they have his disciples turn around and do this kind of thing? Their problem wasn't with the good deed done. Their problem was what he's going to rub their nose in here coming shortly. Their problem was what name did you do this in? Right. You know, their cover-up's not working. And if he says God, then they were out of the loop. No, he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, from Nazareth, a real person, not a concept, a real human being, came from a town, walked this dirt that you put to death falsely, that God raised from the dead? His name. That's the one I used to raise this guy up. <laughs> so, yeah, they're getting accused right back. Right know? up. 
Let it be known unto all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. The fruit of lips acknowledging his name. Good deeds done. Good deeds done. So, I don't want to minimize the sharing of what you have. Very, very important. I don't want to minimize the good works we can be involved in. We were talking about the ostracized, the, 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 the misfit, right? Yeah, show the loved one the misfit, but the misfit, the misfit's a misfit because they're misfitting, because they're broken. If you have a misfitting gear, you just don't, well, I like the noise it makes in my engine, so I'll just leave it misfitting. Right? I appreciate his misfitness. No, you... Hey, you know, if you, if, you, if you balance this out a little bit, maybe you would just not, you know, not misfit. Okay? Healing. Healing. This is why the Gospel of Jesus Christ goes so far beyond the Ten Commandments. So, don't murder. That's a good one. That's the law. Don't murder. It's easy to do. Jesus but, ups the ante. By the way, they, a lot of times people misquote that, that that they say do not you should not kill, but it doesn't say that. It says murder. Don't murder. Different. Don't murder. Jesus ups the ante and says, "Don't get angry." Who? Wait a minute. Yeah, you know, get angry. You, that's the root of murder. I'm telling you to avoid getting angry. He didn't leave it there. That's just where he started, on up in the ante. Then he takes the disciples aside and he says, raise the dead. Oh, now, now you're somewhere completely different. Now you've gone from don't murder someone to getting a dead corpse and having them walk around alive. Oh, but he doesn't stop there. You can speak the gospel and have someone come alive to live forever and never die. Now, we're on the outer complete band of from don't murder to, hey, bring out everlasting life in people. Wow! I just had a light bulb go off. Yes. Yeah, so speaking life over people of that context of, okay, so don't hate, don't murder, now bring people to life. What do we do with our words? Don't use hate with your words. Don't murder somebody with your words because we have power in death and our tongue. And, and that's the same thing, not just physically, like don't get a sword or gun, kill somebody, but the same thing with your words and with your thoughts. You do the same thing spiritually as you do physically. Amen. Okay. Amen. Later. Later. This just in? Alright, so that was the sacrifice of good works and giving. And then we move on to obedience and prayer. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, um, in my ministerial life, I, I, have, I, have, I, I have had the extreme privilege of being able to minister to desirous people, people who wanted to please God and are generally attentive. 
and it's been a joy. Um, I can't tell you how discouraging it can be when, like, would you like us to bring some rocks next week? Yeah, yeah, that'd be better. Um, <laughs> I remember, this is years and years and years, I mean, this is like decades ago, just about. But I was sitting in front of a man and having a discussion, okay, and he was getting ready to go on a trip. And I begged him. I said, don't go. It'll be the end of your marriage. That's it. You'll blow the whole thing up. I have to go. No, you don't. And so he went. And so the whole thing blew up. He lost everything. Wife, kids, business, health, freedom, all it gone. That's discouraging. That makes sitting there in front of someone. It's really encouraging when you sit in front of someone and you know they're on the cliff's edge. You know, too bad they got there, but they're on the cliff's edge and you're like, yeah, don't, 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 don't jump. Okay, we're good. That's encouraging. It's like, don't jump. Ah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's no good. So, in, we've talked about this, that the, 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 the church has structured. Christ is the head. Jesus has put leadership in there. But not as overlords, but as servants, right? And, and so, there, there's to be this cooperation, coordination, co-laboring. Because to the degree that, that they're lifted in prayer, and that the words they're bringing are being submitted to, the Word of God, not their words, but the Word of God is being submitted to, then there's advantage on both sides. You follow? Sometimes this can be difficult. I've been, um, I've been the one where, where the, the, the uh, more mature congregation is like, you know, let's just hang with the kid for a while, he'll get it. You know? <laughs> where they've encouraged me in growth. I've also been the one in the congregation watching a new minister and going, okay, we just need encouragement so he can get there, right? But it has to be, you know, am I communicating? I mean, there's got to be that cooperation, right? So there's no groaning involved. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you, sinner. Now, here we go. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. This is, this is again, this, this consuming grace. God, you're not on your own. You're not on your own to figure this out or produce it. God's working inside you to, to bring up desires, attitudes, and actions that He's pleased with that not only is He pleased with, but that you will be pleased with. God forbid I would be the man when I was 30, or 40, or 55. <laughs> you know? Equip you with every good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, just a quick review of the eternal covenant. There are... Seven major covenants throughout Scripture. The eternal covenant is the covenant made in the councils of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the world. That's kind of like the catch words, the catch phrase of the eternal covenant. Before 
the world began, before the foundations of the world, uh, as Ephesians 1, 4 says it. Obviously, the blood of this covenant is the blood of the Lamb. Before God said, let there be light, before God breathed breath into Adam, before the world was established, before the stars were dusted out into the universe, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit said, we are going to make a creation. And we are going to afford them free will. And if they choose wrong, we are going to salvage them. And the Son said, I'll be the sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit said, I'll be the anointing. And all that was done before the Father said, What a wonderful God we have. Amen. Amen. He is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. And the seal of this covenant is eternal life, which God promised before the world began. You know, why would God do all this if He knew? This is a. I don't want to get into the whole thing about God's foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge, if. if uh, if you think of God's foreknowledge as God, you know, being able to, like, here's God, and here's time, and here's now, and then he could look over here and see everything that happened, and then he could look over here and see what's going to happen. And because he could look over here and see what's going to happen, he knows what's going to happen. That view of God's foreknowledge turns the, the God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, into a third-party observer. And the scripture says, this thing over here we call the future, it doesn't even exist. All that exists is right now. And God calls the end from the beginning because He is the Almighty. He makes it so. He brings it to the so, Yeah, so, so the, garden, the garden didn't catch Him by surprise. Because he knew what he was going to do, and he knew he could. Amen? Amen. It was eternal life which God promised before the world began, Titus 1-2. Alright. And so, the closing of the epistle. Hebrews 13, 22-24. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly... You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, of whom I shall see you, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all the leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Amen. 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 Can I get a picture of this moment?